This is the Insulon podcast, where I, Owen Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, I specifically remember thinking, oh, I'm kind of bored in high school. I don't quite know where I want to go. And then getting diagnosed, and it was like, this is a passion. This is a purpose. This is something where I can find the silver lining, and I also can be a role model for other kids. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulon podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Hello and welcome back to the Insulon podcast. I hope you've all had a great week. Obviously, I am still I'm still recording from a my room at home as the restrictions seem to be slightly lifted, but obviously you still need to be that bit more cautious when you're you're living with diabetes. But today I just want to get stuck straight into the guest who I have here. He is a fellow type 1 diabetic, an amazing diabetes advocate, a filmmaker, and someone who I like to describe as the ultimate diabetes adventurer. He's speaking to me all the way from Bangalore in India, Mr. Eric Dowds. Eric, how are you? Uh, I'm so excited for this conversation. How's life treating you over in, over in India? It's been a beautiful, unexpected journey because I actually left the day after Christmas from my sister's house down in Dallas, Texas, and I'm from New Jersey. And then went off on a two-month adventure in South India. And now my quarantine here has been almost longer than the trip that I actually came on. So it's been like an adventure within an adventure. Yeah, it's, it's insane because I, was, I obviously keep up to date with what you're doing. We speak to each other a good bit online. And one of the days I basically made a video for every diabetic thought or any diabetic worry or any time I had to check my blood sugar or take insulin or whatever it is, anything related to diabetes, I made a video for. And this wasn't any special day where, you know, I was doing anything out of the ordinary. I was just in my house working at the laptop and it was still so disruptive to my day because the detail that you have to go into with the food that you eat and the exercise that you do is just it really emphasized it for me when I did record all these all these little videos. So for me to think of someone like you who just kind of gets up and goes on a two-month trip and now this has basically evolved into a two-year journey. How has it been jumping off a bridge almost into that unknown world with diabetes? Yeah, well, you and I share that common bond of being diagnosed as teenagers so I was 16 and I know you were 19 and I remember sitting across from my endocrinologist at the time, Mitch, and when we were like really talking about the details of the diagnosis, I just remember thinking like, what's going to be crossed off my list? And I was never really like an athletic person per se compared to my high school, like my high school, we had the top of the top athletes so someone named rick porcello he went to my high school but he got drafted from my high school into the major leagues so like that's the level of competition we're talking about and so i remember thinking about my diagnosis with diabetes and be like is there anything that i'm not going to be able to do 
And that's what kind of sparked this like adventurous side because I remember just asking Mitch some of these questions and she's like, Eric, you're gonna have to figure this out for yourself. And that's kind of what especially these last two years have been all about. Do you think that if you weren't diagnosed with diabetes that you would be where you are today, you'd be speaking to me from India? Do you think that because you were diagnosed, it's kind of given you that extra push to go out and do these amazing uh, adventures that you're going on? Yeah, one thing my dad said to me, and to put some things into context, my grandfather had type 1 diabetes, so he's diagnosed in 1940. So it's been in the background of the family. But I came back from this trip where I was on the border of Ethiopia and South Sudan. So my background's actually environmental policy. So I was there for work work. And I came home and I was lying on the couch and my dad just looked at me and he's like, Eric, you really use diabetes to go above and beyond what's expected of any normal person. And one of the blessings of being diagnosed when you can remember it, you know, so in your adolescent or adult life is that I specifically remember thinking, oh, I'm kind of bored in high school. I don't quite know where I want to go. And then getting diagnosed and it was like, this is a passion. This is a purpose. This is something where I can find the silver lining and I also can be a role model for other kids and and show that we really can't overcome this. So I 100% would not be here without my diagnosis with type 1 diabetes. Yeah, it's amazing. It's even me listening to that. It, it's so similar to how I felt even when I was at that age. But to listen to you say it to me now is hugely inspiring because I was in a similar place of, you know, you go about your teenage years and you don't necessarily know what it is you want to do. And there's kind of a lot of pressure put on you in school and to basically decide what you want to do for the rest of your life. And I was, I didn't, I didn't have a clue. And then I was kind of thrown into this diabetic world. And just like yourself, it's almost like I now have a purpose and I now know exactly what I want to and need to do with the rest of my life. Yeah. And you and I both wrestle with that in a professional sense as well, because I know you studied animation and maybe illustration as well. And, you know, my background is environmental policy. And like now I find myself taking diabetes advocacy and diabetes education more and more professionally. And that's something that's always been this dual mindset between like one passion and your type one diabetes. And I think that's something a lot of adult diagnosis, like people probably figure out or struggle with. And that's kind of like been an interesting balance throughout life because I feel like these last two years, that was my like commitment to be like, let me just dive knees deep into the diabetes world and see like what I discover. When did you make the shift from, because as we, as we both know, diabetes is almost like a full-time job. You don't get a break and you just constantly have to be looking after yourself. When did you make that shift from, I need to look after myself every day and I need to make sure I'm healthy and well and my blood sugars are in a safe range into promoting a healthy and a happy life with diabetes and showing people that it shouldn't be a reason to stop you from doing whatever you want to do? Almost since day one, I remember being put on the insulin pump 
And I was probably on syringe and a vial for six months. And then I was put on an insulin pump and instantly like removing those daily shots. I was like, this is absolutely incredible. I'm blessed to have the doctors and the medical team I have. I'm blessed to have my parents. I'm blessed to be here in New Jersey. And I wanted to give that opportunity to children like myself and teenagers. And that's when I started doing some fundraising at my high school. And like my community just rallied together like in such an inspirational way. And it ended up allowing me to start a, a foundation under the hospital I was diagnosed at. And that's kind of morphed into giving camp scholarships. There's a camp out in New Jersey, Camp Najetta, that's 100% type 1 diabetics. And it's founded like in 1960 or something, like really like a ways back. And just being able to provide that opportunity for people. I'm always interested in like getting newly diagnosed people in the community as fast as possible because when you're surrounded by other people who understand it, like that's when your life can change in really unexpected ways and in so many positive ways. Yeah, I think because diabetes is such an isolating condition at times, like you say, being part of that community and even specifically being part of that online community where you can turn on your phone and you can message people anywhere in the world who are experiencing the exact same things as you on a daily basis. And I think that's comforting because when you are diagnosed, it's and, and particularly if you're at 19 when I was diagnosed or 16 when you were diagnosed, it feels as if the whole world is turning in on you. And it's like, is there anybody, is there anybody else out there like me or feeling the things that I feel right now? And I think what you've done is kind of create that online community. And even with Diabadass that you you host these online summits where you interview people and you have blogs and videos and it's just a great sense of community that people can feel involved in. So is that something that you want to just continue on doing? Oh, it's absolutely remarkable. And to give some context, when I also, you know, so I was working and living in New York City and that's when I left and kind of went to, I actually went to Bike Across America to meet Connected Emotion, which is a Canadian nonprofit that does outdoor education for their adventure team up in British Columbia. So I was like, of course, perfect opportunity to bike across America and, and end up in Canada. But that trip was only intended to be three months and it only snowballed and continued because this community is now connected and one of the remarkable things I look back on is how many homes I've stayed in because people have welcomed me in knowing that I was traveling through town or traveling through their city or making these connections. And to look back, like I know you love analogies and I just became, <laughs> you know, I just, be I just became an uncle. So my sister has a, a one-year-old and I think if you look Congrats. back, yeah, it's so amazing. He's so cute. You know, but the diabetes community kind of when we were diagnosed, I think was just like crawling along. And there's lots of things you can point to, but that's when I was going off to college and I couldn't find anything online. So I, at the time, had a blog called collegediabetes.com. And that's how I got connected to people like Scott Johnson, who are longtime bloggers. But over the last, you know, several years, really since Beyond Type 1 came online and started 
making Instagram and making all these profiles that were so accessible, it's like all of a sudden we were, you know, standing up and now it's almost like we're in a full on sprint of being able to connect globally. And I think that resonates where I am here in Bangalore, where I'm halfway across the world from my home and I have a diabetes community here. And when I'm looking for insulin supplies or pump supplies or just questions, um, I am instantly tapped into this online community that now spans the globe. And that's such like a beautiful evolution that you and I have both witnessed. Even for me in the past two, three years where I've, I've always been involved somehow, but I've kind of like tried my best to be even more involved as the years go on. And you have always been someone that's kind of at the forefront of that. So for me, it's always been you that's like part of that bigger community, which is, which is always something good to relate to. Is there any sense of diabetes or diabetic community in India? Like, have you met any Indian diabetics? Yeah, so there's definitely a difference going around the world in terms of what the diabetes community looks like and kind of what you might say stages they're in. But I am actually here in Bangalore because of Uporva, who is also one of the spokespeople for Beyond Type 1. She ran the New York City Marathon in 2018, if I did it in 2019. And why I showed up to Bangalore is they're actually having a pan-India, which I learned. That's kind of like every state of India sent a type 1 diabetic advocate to show up here in Bangalore to start the type 1 foundation, I think is the name they gave it. Um, but it was the first kind of foundation for people living with type 1 diabetes here in India. And as an outside perspective looking in, one of the big differences here is stigma. And like your shots of taking a shot of insulin in public, like is the perfect kind of example of that because here it's really stigmatized to have type one diabetes. Um, that shows, I've heard a lot of stories around marriage and potentially not marrying someone because they know you have a chronic disease, but also like multiple people said like, oh, they would never take a shot of insulin in public just because everyone would really, really look at them and stare at them. And so that's something that I remember being in college and, and being afraid to kind of take shots of insulin, but I think that really has changed in America. But now it's definitely kind of where India is and then stuff with access to technology and, and stuff like that is definitely prevalent as well. Public injections have always been something that I have I've kind of been proud of because when you hear of people who who don't like who necessarily don't like to take injections in public and they feel ashamed of it and stuff it's as you say that stigma around it which I feel is important that we change because if there are small changes with somebody's diabetes management in terms of I'm not going to check my blood sugar in public or I'm not going to inject in public that can then kind of snowball into something larger for them thinking I am different and I'm not the same as these people who are in the restaurant or these people who are out in the park or wherever it may be. What do you think your advice would be to somebody who may feel embarrassed or ashamed of their diabetes coming from your perspective of 
you used to feel that way and now you are probably the most proud diabetic I've ever met. Well, you and I have that like bond of being the the reckless kind of adults and just using our own bubbly personalities. And, you know, when people bring up like dating and diabetes, I'm like, oh, that's never been like a conversation for me because anyone I've been in a relationship clearly knows I have this disease because it's just something I don't hide, you know, but the reason I got into filmmaking actually was because of this feeling that people truly don't understand what it's like to live with an invisible disease. And sometimes it's these subtle things where you are out to dinner with friends and you need to take insulin and you feel more comfortable going into the bathroom or more comfortable doing it under the table so people don't give you that look. You know, but I got into filmmaking to show through kind of the lens outside of the type 1 diabetes space where I'm like, hey, look, like you can go on incredible bike journeys. You can be deep in Alaska. You can be camping at the base of the highest point in North America, Denali, watching the sunset and take a shot of insulin. The same way you can be over here in India, um, managing your blood sugar, carb counting all different types of bananas. And I wanted to create kind of that sense of like, here's entertaining pieces, but also trying to hook in, it could be newly diagnosed patients, but also people who aren't tied into the type one diabetes space to try to draw them in through a different lens to all of a sudden kind of show them our daily perspective where it's like, yeah, this is why we tried to boldly inject. So this isn't stigmatized so we can just go about living our, you know, our day-to-day lives and, and just try to be the best people that we can be. Yeah, I know. I completely agree. And I saw in one of your recent videos, you were describing when you were initially diagnosed and with one hand, it was kind of like, this is the positive side. And the other hand, it was the negative side. And you explained it almost as if the negative side was never even an option for you, because when you're diagnosed with diabetes, you now have this condition for the rest of your life. That's just the way it is. This moment in time, there unfortunately isn't a cure. So you explained it as, because I have this anyway, why would I ever turn to the negative side of it? The only option is to stay positive. And I think even from me, who is someone that has been connected with you for a while now, and we've always kept in touch, Anytime I see a video of you or a post you make or an interview or a podcast that you do, you're always so, so happy. And I think you can even, even though I've never even, I've never physically met you, you almost feel the positive energy coming out of your, your phone or your laptop whenever you see videos of you. So because you seem like, and I'm sure you are such a happy person, What do you do on the days when your diabetes is like your blood sugar up and down and you don't feel like you wish you would? Are there ways that you can always look at the bigger picture and do your best to always stay in that positive mindset? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's been interesting. You're part of this collaborative film called The Together Type, which is kind of this intersection between the diabetes community and COVID. And in there, 
she was one of my teammates in this uh, gamble, uh, but she's a researcher and has type 1 diabetes. But she was saying, like, there's a lot of parallels between living with type 1 diabetes and the world kind of experiencing COVID. And I think those, like, emotional swings, I remember when I didn't have this community, like, at least once a year, I would just break down. And that was like in college, but I just remember like once a year, just like, you're like, this is just my day of rest, but like just crying, this is too much to handle, you know, whatever triggers it. And ever since I've been able to connect and build a type one diabetes community, one, you're able to get out a lot of those small pressures, you know, kind of release a little bit of the pressure so you don't boil over so often. But then we also have all these moments that put it into perspective. Like I remember the first time, you know, Austin was just on this podcast and the first time he was diagnosed at like two or four, but the first time I met a child living with type one diabetes who had to take a shot, but he didn't understand why. Like I just remember crying that entire night because I was like, wow, this kid doesn't understand yet what his life is going to look like in the future. And like, I just feel blessed. And I think at the end of the day, it is just when I feel overwhelmed, like definitely get out the jump rope, go on a walk. But so often why I stay tuned in, why I show up to summits, why I talk to friends is just to constantly put things in perspective, but also always work on that gratitude because that really, you know, there's the physical side of this disease, but the mental side is, is that lifelong battle that we're all, dealing with. And I think that's why we all have that super glue between us where you can be anywhere in the world. And if you're having an issue, someone will show up or someone will reach out. Someone will, will relate to you. And that's what's like, makes us feel like superheroes. And it really keeps me grounded and filled with gratitude. So uh, it's, it's amazing to have that in our lives. I think often the psychological side of diabetes can easily be neglected because on a daily basis, it is so physical because you need to look after your blood sugar and take your shots and make sure you're eating the right food and getting adequate amounts of exercise. And because of that, sometimes I feel as if the emotional side of it can kind of take a back seat. So being aware of how you can sometimes slip into these negative thoughts about diabetes is already your advantage because you you're aware that okay look this isn't going to be fantastic all the time but when you when you can see that happening and if you have the ability to then look at the bigger picture and say this isn't the end of the world this may be the incentive for me to cycle across the world and live in bangalore and india or start whatever it is you want to start or it's about being able to stay as positive as you can. I was blindsided by type one diabetes, you know, and I think one reason I get into advocacy is, you know, my grandfather had type one diabetes and I had every warning sign, you know, and for two or three weeks there I was with urinating every 20 minutes, super dry mouth, 20 pounds lost. And that could have been prevented. And I think where I find myself now, since I know depression and OCD and other things run in my family, 
I'm like, I've built up this great defense for type one diabetes. Now, how can I be proactive about the next mental battle? And right now that's just been like a knowledge search. You know, some of my posts have just been like, what does depression look like? Cause this is something I might have, or what does anxiety look like? And I think that's like the lessons now that it's been 12 years with this disease where it's like, don't wait until you're deep in the ditch before you start digging, digging out of it, you know, just try to keep moving and, and stay proactive. You're a big believer in journaling as well, Eric. Did that stem from living life with diabetes or is that something that you have always done? Cause I know every day you journal for five, 10, 15 minutes. Is that something that came from diabetes? You know, I think what's interesting is this might be my bias, but I feel like the world is so good at catering towards type A personalities, which is the organized individual, the person that has the five-year plan, the person that knows where their career is going. And I've always felt like I'm on the other side. I'm, I'm the go with the flow, the, the figure it out as it comes. And and that flexibility has allowed me to take on some more challenging and adventurous things that some people might not take on. But I think diabetes has also forced your hand at times to be organized and to think about things. And for me, that really came through the first time I was hiking down in New Zealand with my best friend for a month. And that was like, if I get this checklist wrong, like I'm in the wilderness and this could be like a very dangerous situation. And so I think that's where over the years, no matter what type of person you are, if you start taking your diabetes management seriously, you realize you do have this responsibility you have to take on. And so I now have two journals, one to organize kind of my day-to-day week goals, month goals, year goals, and then another journal, which is much more for the emotional side, the what am I doing today? And the reason I really enjoy journaling is one, you know, especially now with COVID happening where so many people don't have their routine, a journal can provide that. So when you're feeling overwhelmed, you can just look at these pages and say, all right, here's the plan I made for myself and now I can follow it, you know, but on the other side, like just looking at these pages and flipping back and you realize how much you've grown or how much you've overcome. I think that's where, especially managing a chronic disease that doesn't take a break, you know, we're able to be so resilient and adapt so quickly that those moments when someone looks at you and you tell them you live with type one diabetes and they just get really sad and you're just like kind of reminded, you're like, oh yeah, this is a really, really serious disease because you almost forget at times. I think that's why I kind of journal <laughs> to, to your, remind yourself how much of a champion we all are. It definitely forces you to become more resilient. There certainly isn't much of an alternative to looking after yourself. I've been meaning to ask Eric as well, obviously adjusting to your life now in India or for the past two years, I'm sure is, is quite different to living in the States. But 
as we both know, the importance of constantly getting your medication and your insulin and all the diabetes supplies that you need is hugely, hugely important. What has the difference been between accessing insulin and supplies in the States compared to when you're in India and you're cycling around the world? Yeah, so I mean, so I always bring absolutely everything I need on every trip. And that is because the first time I went on like a big abroad trip, I went to Denmark where I was studying abroad and I was planning on being there for a semester. And then I stayed there for the summer. So I was gone for nine months. But luckily, like insulin is made in Denmark. And because I was on a student visa, I eventually like ended up going to the endocrinologist and getting everything. But like, at the end of the day, every single trip, no matter where I am in the world, I bring everything. But now that India's been a five month trip, like I am on my last sensor that is giving me horribly inaccurate readings, so I should take it off. But the thing is, like here in India, you like Dexcom isn't sold here. So like the Dexcom CGM uh, isn't sold. So people use the Freestyle Libre, but that's not a continuous glucose monitor. Did you ever like run out of insulin or your equipment stopped working or you forgot something or you just didn't have what you needed? Have you ever kind of been left left out to dry in terms of insulin supplies while you were traveling? One of the hardest lessons, especially for the American audience, is to learn that it's harder to get insulin in America than it has been for me anywhere else in the world. And it's one of these weird fears that I don't truly talk about that often, but you know, I go on my biking trips with Annalisa, who is type one diabetes. And so we have some resiliency just in our team because we both have the disease, which is super nice. But, you know, when we were biking across America, we had, for instance, like most Americans, they get three months supplies of things. So like Annalise and I both had all of our insulin going to our parents' homes in New York and New Jersey, respectively and then getting shipped out to us while we're on the road because in the US, like you will need a prescription when you show up to the pharmacy or your insurance mandates that you go to a particular chain of pharmacy. So on the East Coast, that could be Walgreens where when I go to Canada, I just walk into a pharmacy and a pharmacist is able to give me insulin at an affordable rate, which is generally around 25 US dollars, but also at a transparent rate, meaning they'll tell me the price of Humalog, they'll tell me the price of Novolog, they'll tell me the price of insulin pens and all these things where in the US, like I have seen the price tag of $350 for a vial of insulin because the place didn't have my prescription. And it's one of these things traveling, you know, I've, I've made films about this of me buying insulin in Canada and I'll make a film of me getting reasonably priced insulin delivered with an ice pack here in India because 
you know, like insulin is needed all around the world. And so it's so, so shocking that insulin access is mainly an American problem and Americans truly don't seem to really know it or really, really acknowledge that because every time I go to a place like India and they're like, dude, what are you going to do for insulin? I'm like, I'm probably just going to buy it because it'll probably be easy. But when I'm traveling in the U.S., like I'm most likely going to get insulin from a type one diabetics refrigerator because that's going to be easier than me telling my dad where to ship the insulin at home and timing that up with where I am traveling. And um, yeah, it definitely makes me interested in that like advocacy. Um, but you also really need to be comfortable with going off technology because I'm always fearful. Like what if day one, my pump fails? Like you need to be comfortable with using a syringe and vial and checking your blood sugar. You know, I biked down the entire West coast of America, 1800 miles without a continuous glucose monitor and just check my blood sugar, <laughs> did it like I did for the first, whatever, five or 10 years. Cause I actually didn't get a continuous glucose monitor until I was living in New York. So, um, but those are definitely like some eye opening experiences. That is just insane to me to, to hear that it's easier for you to get insulin when you're biking around India and biking around the world than it is when you may be living in New Jersey. Yeah. And that's going to be something that we're going to see out of this COVID pandemic. You know, I think 20 million Americans or something like that just filed for unemployment. And all of a sudden you're just going to see this transparent gap open up and my advocacy pitch would be to reach out to governors who can write emergency legislation, which Colorado, New Mexico, and Illinois have already passed that limits the copay of insulin. But if you're part of the diabetes online community, like I just encourage you to just post one day, say, who here has ever seen the price tag of $300 for a vial? And you'll get people who will send you images and you'll be, you know, Nate Checkett, his, his profile is public. So Nate Checkett, who's on the board of Beyond Type 1, he just shared a story of, you know, when he was starting on his entrepreneurial path of opening up a clothing line, Roan, and had like a few months gap of not having insurance and like how scary that is. And when you have a family and it's going to be like really, I think one of these in the next six months of COVID as people file for uninsurance, because unfortunately in the US, your insurance is linked to employment. And so it's going to be one of these issues that Canada doesn't have a problem with this. You know, from what I understand, Europe doesn't have a problem with this. Um, if you have um, the resources, a lot of countries make it so it's affordable to buy insulin. And that isn't true necessarily in the US. I think it's easy for me to take for granted how how convenient it is for me to get insulin in Ireland because we get all our supplies included on our long-term illness scheme. So once you have your prescription, you can basically just go into your pharmacy and they will give you your needles, your 
insulin, your blood checker, whatever it is you need, it's basically just handed to you. And that's been the way for me since I was diagnosed. And then when I went to the States, I was over there for for a while. So I had to bring over like a year's supply of insulin because I knew it was going to be so difficult to get it in the States. It's a travesty. And I think that is where... I was listening to Jane Goodall on Tim Ferriss' podcast, and she was saying, you know, there's no use in arguing with someone. You have to reach someone's heart. And I think the power of the online community is that friends of mine like Robin Cressman and others have started to share their story of leaving the United States to buy insulin. And if we're able to connect those stories with people who can pass legislation because at the end of the day legislation can change this and it can change it overnight you know we'll see profound change and for me personally it's tough to have conversations about a cure when there's already medicine available to treat this disease and there are people who are dying in our community from not being able to access it and it's totally solvable and it's been solved everywhere else, not everywhere, but you know, it's just a particularly problematic in, in the States. And I think as more of us share our stories or just what it's like, you know, what is it like riding across America and all of a sudden leaving your home state and leaving the comforts of what your home state provides in terms of insurance and brands and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I think it hopefully will, be well received especially now for politicians who are thinking about emergency prep um, to to make changes that can can last a lifetime that is just insane to me to listen to to comprehend the fact that i can't just call up my pharmacy order order the insulin or blood checker or needles or whatever it is that I need and I almost can't get them whenever I need them and to think of how stressful how time consuming how disruptive and sometimes emotionally draining diabetes can be on a normal day to then throw in that financial stress of Jesus am I not going to be able to afford my insulin this month or if I lose my job, I won't be insured and I won't be able to afford my life-saving medication. It's just insane. And I think now even, like I was aware of it prior to this, but even now, even now listening to you talk about it, I'm just never going to take that for granted, the fact that I can so easily get insulin in Ireland. And uh, it's it's important that people that have easier access to it really appreciate that um, that luxury almost. So I'm going to ask you one more question, Eric, just to finish off. I like to ask this question to end on a, on a positive note as much as we can. So if you had the opportunity to thank diabetes for something, what would that be? I'd have to thank diabetes for providing me with motivation and a catalyst to chase after 
dreams and inspirations that I definitely would have put off until later. It's definitely the, you wake up one day and are reminded every single day thereafter that you can't take your health for granted, you know, but it's also when you know someone that has lost their life too soon. I think diabetes is this weird, bittersweet disease where we're perfectly healthy, but at the same time balancing this really complex disease. And that's like the everyday motivator to go out there, to chase your dreams, to appreciate the day to day. And, and that's what I definitely have to thank diabetes for providing and giving uh, me in my life. You're an inspiring man, Eric. I appreciate you being on. Do you want to tell people where they can find you online and what you're up to? Definitely. On Instagram and YouTube, I am Eric, E-R-I-K, Dowds, D-O-U-D-S. And then you can join me over at diabadass.com for some cool online summits where I try to bring together people around various themes and topics, um, then also some courses and some group fitness. But we're always kind of doing fun and interesting things over there. You're a gentleman, Eric. Thank you so much for being on. It's been amazing talking to you. And I will chat to you soon, my friend. Beautiful. Hopefully I can see you soon. Absolutely. Take it easy.